0: Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. The
1: stripes, there's thousands of people who have been crucified through history. It's not insignificant, trust me. It's not insignificant. However, this word in the Hebrew is a singular noun. Know this, because there's one blow that was given to Christ. When God took upon the sin of the whole world, the Bible says that he made his soul an atonement for ours. How can I keep from sin?
0: himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree. Welcome to Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob finalizes chapter 2 of Peter's first epistle and reviews how Jesus bore our sin on the cross so that we may live righteously and be reconnected with our God. Peter tells us that we are all like sheep that have gone astray but when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for us through his death and resurrection, he becomes our shepherd and overseer of our souls forever. Let's join Pastor Rob with this important message.
1: And Paul says, you know what? I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He goes, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. We're in Second Corinthians 11, verse 22. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep, floating around in the Mediterranean Sea, a bobber for sharks. Hmm. In perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides these other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for the church. You know, you think about the example of suffering that Paul endured. I would encourage you to write these scriptures down and check them out It just further... Uh, brings clarity to these, this letter that we're in right now in this verse, in verse 20. I would certainly encourage you to do that. But what is the purpose, at least one of the purposes, for this suffering when you do good things and you suffer wrongfully? What is the possible benefit of it? I can share with you one of them, and it's in Second Corinthians chapter 1. It's a verse we all know, a passage. Paul said to them, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, in all of our suffering, that we may be able to comfort those in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You may have gone through something really horrible in your life, And you know, God loves to turn horrible situations into great trophies of his grace. Have you lost a son? How much more are you able now to communicate to someone else who's lost a son or a daughter when you yourself have done, that's happened to you, and you are just wrenched with pain and agony? You can now comfort others with the comfort you've been comforted with by the body of Christ and, more importantly, Jesus himself. Have you gone through an abortion? And you see a young lady who's on the verge of doing the same thing. Can you tell her and say, honey, don't do it? It's more than just some physical thing inside of you. I I felt, um, not, I had nightmares after the fact about this life. What could have been? What should have been? What might have been? And the anguish spiritually, mentally, emotionally I went through as a result of that choice. Don't do it. Put the child up for adoption if necessary. But give birth to that life that God has given. Comforting others with the comfort we are comforted in. Let's look at verse 21. It says, for, for, for this you were called, suffering wrongfully. Paul says, For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God? For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. This word example, underline it in your Bible in verse 21 here, because it only occurs once in the New Testament. Once. It occurs once, and it's in relationship to Jesus being our example. It's a word, hypogrammos, which literally means an underwriting, a copy, an imitation, an example. I like to think of it as a prototype a prototype, an original or model after which anything is formed. The pattern of anything that is to be engraved, cast, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an example, it's a prototype. Jesus was and is the prototype of suffering for us. Verses 22 through 25, which we're going to look at now, are really pointing us We're going to go to Isaiah 53 in a few moments, but these verses, 22 through 25, point us all the way back to the prophet Isaiah, a passage entitled, some have called the Holy of Holies of the Old Testament, written some 700 years before Jesus was even manifested in the womb of Mary and brought forth. Of course, he always existed, right? We know that. Even before he was born, he always existed. But notice in verse 22 it says, He committed, Jesus committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his in his mouth. In Second Corinthians it says this, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was without spot, without blemish. In verse 23, when Who when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. And what does it say in Luke chapter 23? He committed himself to his father. When he was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last, the ultimate doulos, the ultimate bondservant, giving his life, wrongfully accused, and yet an example for us. Now, God doesn't expect you to do the dying. He did the dying. Now we have to live, but we do have to deny ourselves, right? We deny those old things, that old nature. We deny those things. That's what we put to death. We don't have to die for him. In some, in some religions, you have to prove yourself to your God. Prove yourself. If your devotion is really real, then walk across across glass to reach that little temple, that little statue. Bloody knees and bloody hands is nothing. Worship that inanimate statue. What a foolish thing. Strap C4 to your chest and walk into a crowded place in Tel Aviv and pull the cord. Cowards. Do you have to die for your God, or does your God die, or did he die for you? There's only one who has died for you. There's only one who's died. Christ, he died for you. We need to live in him. We are baptized in his death, and when he rose again from the grave, we were rose to newness of life just as he was, and now he lives in and through us. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't that what it says? Galatians 2.20. Jesus was the doulos. Verse 24, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that having died to sins might live for righteousness. That we, I'm sorry, let me read that verse again. I totally butchered it. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. And let's take a look at this. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53, and I'd encourage you to read the whole thing. Because as we look through verses 22 through 25 of this, Peter is, he's got Isaiah 53 on the brain. He's thinking of it while he's writing this letter because he's showing the example, the prototype, the example. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 3, speaking of Jesus, the suffering servant says, he is despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. Amen. (laughs) There's no other way. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him instead of us. And by his stripes we are healed. Now, I want you to underline that word stripes because... When we think of stripes, we think of something plural, right? You think of the beatings and the lashings that Jesus did. As horrible as that all was, do you understand that that's not what got the job done? It was certainly part of it, but not the biggest part part of it. The stripes, there's thousands of people who have been crucified through history. It's not insignificant, trust me. It's not insignificant. However, this word in the Hebrew is a singular noun. Know this. Because there's one blow that was given to Christ. When God took upon the sin of the whole world, the Bible says that he made his soul an atonement for ours. For the sin of the world, all of that was placed... Can anybody see that on the cross while he was saying... You know, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Harkening back to Psalm 22. Well, well You know, as he was saying all that, nobody could see what was going on in the spiritual, but the, the weight of the sin of the world was being placed on the Son of Man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Nobody could see that in the natural eye, and nobody did. But the blow, the stripe, the singular thing that God did was put upon that, upon his Son, that one stroke. That is what got the job done. Many people have been crucified. Many people have been lashed with flagellum and torn in half, but nobody has paid the price for sin, right? That's one of my biggest gripes about The Passion of the Christ, that movie that uh, uh, Mel Gibson made. It was very moving. I cried through that movie. I watched it. But do you realize that for all the blood and all the gore, it was nothing. It was nothing. And what he failed to portray in that movie, the most important thing, and how could you do it, I guess? So I don't want to be too critical, but the putting of sin of the whole world upon a man, upon the God-man Jesus. How can you portray that in a movie? I suppose with technology nowadays, you probably could somehow. But that is the stroke. That is the stripe that did the job. Nothing else did. Certainly it was part of it, but not the biggest that, that's what saved our souls, folks. That's what secured us in glory, not, not his physical beatings. He didn't do anything wrong to receive those stripes. But God says, I'm placing the, the one single blow of putting the sin upon him, and he had to deal with that. And God, who cannot look upon sin, turned away from his son for the first time. We believe. And that's the agony that Christ went through. We've never even experienced what it's like to be without God. Even in our darkest days, to be completely void of his presence, I think that's hell. There's more to it than that, but I think that's hell. <laughs> in verse 6 of Isaiah 53 it says, "All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He didn't revile" He was led as a lamb to slaughter, and as a lamb or a sheep before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He opened not his mouth. In Luke's gospel, as he was being ping-ponged back and forth between Pilate and Herod, Luke records for us in the only place in the gospels that he went to Herod. And in his arraignment before Herod, Herod desired to see some miracle done by him because Herod wanted to be entertained. He was an entertainer. He liked to be entertained. He was a man of the flesh. Show me something new. Can you do something, Jesus? Can you just make a camel appear before my eyes? Can you make a chalice of the best wine appear before my eyes so I can continue my drunkenness? Jesus wasn't going to play that. And when Herod questioned him, verse 9, with many words, he answered him nothing. He didn't say a thing to Herod. Herod could have said, you know what, this man's a lunatic. All these charges being brought against him, surely he's got to say something, but he said nothing. He said nothing. And then later on, in that same chapter, in that same area of the Scripture in Luke 23, right around verse 13, it says, Pilate, after he had Herod had had his way and says, you know what, there's nothing wrong with this guy. I'm sending him back to Pilate. So he goes back to Pilate in verse 13. When he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, they said to him, you have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, being examined, there it is, being being examined, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod. Innocent. He suffered wrongfully. Neither did I, or neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done for him. And then in verse 24, it says, Who himself, having bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. I would encourage you to write down Romans chapter 6 and read That Because it really just talks about our our, our being baptized into his death and then being risen to life and newness of life. As he was baptized and put to death, so were we figuratively, mystically. But when he rose again from the grave, death no longer had any hold upon him. And the death doesn't have any, any longer any hold on you and I if we are a believer in Christ. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your sins have been forgiven and that you don't, you don't, you're no longer to be walking around? You don't have to continue to walk around just beating yourself over what you've done. Have asked God to give you faith to say, you know what, Lord, I take you at your word. You said if I confess my sin, you are faithful to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And it's all done. The possibility is made possible because of what you did on the cross for me. That is good news. It's the best news. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> but read Romans chapter 6 because it will encourage you. And in verse 25, he says, For you, speaking to these Jewish believers now, the, the, the church that just started in Pentecost there in Jerusalem, now scattered, he says, You were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the overseer and the bishop of your souls. To the, return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In Isaiah, chapter 40, I love this. Get carried away with this imagery in your head. (laughs) I love this. Isaiah 40, it says, Speaking of Jesus, he will feed his flock like a shepherd, and he will gather the lambs with with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Isn't that a wonderful thing to consider? That Almighty God would seek to gather, <laughs> gather his lambs. One day it's coming, folks, when he's going to gather us all together, the church. Have you seen that picture? There's one photograph. I, I'm, I'm seeing it in my mind's eye right now. I can't get it out of my head. I see this picture of, uh, of a man who looks like Jesus, or it's a caricature of Jesus, and he's got the little lamb in his, in his arms, and he's holding the lamb, and the lamb looks totally enthralled, totally at peace, totally uncaring about anything that's going around them, protected by the shepherd. No lamb, no tiger is going to come near them as long as a shepherd has got a hold of that little lamb. And see, that's the kind of love, that's the kind of grace, that's the kind of Savior that we serve. That's his heart toward you. He just wants you to be his lamb, that he can put his arm around, that he can hold in his bosom, it's a wonderful thing to be a child of God, isn't it? And to think that he was our example. He is the prototype. But remember, you don't have to die for Jesus, physically. You may, he may call you to live a martyr's life, maybe, as some in history have, but that's just the result of being one of his children. You don't have to do that to earn his favor, to earn salvation, none of that. That's just... Part and parcel for being a Christian, if it's his will for you. You may undergo light persecution, but remember that what he really requires is a death for us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, take up the shame, take up all those things that are shameful and follow him, the great shepherd of our souls the one who loves you, do you know you're loved by God? Regardless of all the things that you've done, maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, you know what, I've done some heinous things this week and if you only knew what I've done, what I said, what I've thought, I'm ashamed to even be in this building among these believers. Do you feel that way this morning? If you do, know that God loves you. It's never too late to turn from anything that you're grieving him in his spirit. You can turn from those things and be reconciled. You can be restored. Don't listen to the enemy's devices. Don't listen to his voices who says that you're washed up. You've done this thing too many times. It's not possible for you to be forgiven by a holy God. You've done it too many times. You've gone way over the edge. No hope for you any longer. You don't even want to do it. You don't even want to turn from it, and is Isn't that true of us? Sometimes there may be something in your life where you're thinking, you know what, I'm struggling with this thing, but I like it too much. It could be drug addiction. It could be alcoholism. It could be pornography. It could be anything. But you can't give up. And don't give up. You keep asking God to give you a hatred for it as he hates it. And you know what? He'll love you right to the very end. He's not going to give up on you. You may give up on yourself, but he is not going to give up on you. If his blood purchased you, don't you think that you're precious in his sight like that lamb in the shepherd's arms? Be encouraged this morning, no matter what you've done. Know that we have good examples that have gone before us. Certainly some that have done wrong. You look at Peter's life. He did some really wrong things, and he bore the price of that, consequences. David did some wrong things, and he had consequences. But but let me tell you that both of those men, the man who committed adultery and fornication, and also the man who denied the Lord three times, they're both in glory. Right now, they are in the master's arms as that little lamb looking all innocent because they've been washed as white as snow. Their sin is washed away. No longer does he look upon it. Be encouraged in that this morning, okay? Let God get a hold of you. Let him love you. Amen? Let's stand. Father, we do give you thanks for your wonderful grace and love for us, Lord. pray that you bless my brothers and sisters as we go from this place, Lord. And may you teach us, Lord, continually. And just show us and remind us of the examples in your word father, and, and help us to be encouraged, Lord, that to not be uh, to not be shaken in mind when these things happen to us, whether they are difficult afflictions, persecutions, or very light persecutions, whatever they may be, help us to remember lord and and Lord, help us to do right and suffering even for right things, Lord, put a smile on our heart, knowing that we 've glorified you and that we could be encouraged, Lord, that we have done the right thing and for you to have said to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant, Lord. Have your way with us today. We ask it in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time when Pastor Rob continues our study in First Peter. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625.